success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast and we have an amazing guest for you today. We have Jen Bonine. She is a CEO, entrepreneur, female tech founder, philanthropist, author. She's been named one of the top 30 leaders to watch for in 2020. She's recently been seen on CNN Money and at the World Economic Forum. Jen is passionate about youth and helping them now more than ever and supporting them in living their dreams. Welcome, Jen. It is so great to have you here on the She's Invincible podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this. I was counting down the days. Like I just I have I love to. it. <laughs> I have to. Oh my gosh, since our first conversation. And I it's just so, so fun to have you and just share you with our listeners. And I know they need to get their pen and paper <laughs> and prepare to get their socks knocked off in the next few minutes. So, oh my gosh, let's do this. Let's tell our listeners how did you get where you are today? And what makes you invincible? So um, for me, I've kind of, uh, my parents described it um, later on. I'm the oldest of three girls. And one of the things they said to me later on um, when I was probably about seven or eight was, I hope we didn't get you switched in the hospital, right? Because they were like, she's so different than we are. My dad's a teacher. My mom's a nurse. They're in very caregiving um, professions. And when I was five, I started a business in my neighborhood of a toy redistribution system where we would bring the toys that the kids weren't playing with. I had them come to my house. We would give them tickets and then the children could pick out other toys that they wanted to play with. So I was asking my parents, I didn't know what it was at the time, but I was asking them for some type of waiver so that I couldn't get in trouble for that the kids signed off that they were okay with this and my parents were like what do we do with this child like who does this she's five like she's created a business in our garage and um that's kind of been my whole life just incredibly curious about solving problems or things I see that aren't working um, that would make life better for people. So my toy redistribution was my first experiment in it. But really that, I call it my natural drive and curiosity to say, well, if this isn't working and everyone's saying they're, you know, this isn't working, how can we fix it? And that's, you know, really what's made me invincible is not believing no was an option, right? Like, the answer isn't no, it's how can we do this better? Or what is the option? Or what could we do? And um, it's just, I think, that natural tenacity and curiosity 
that really has driven me throughout my entire career. And my parents used to say the thing they would never tell me as I was growing up was, no, you can't, or it's not possible because they knew that was a recipe for me to come up with some grand planner scheme of why it would actually work. <laughs> so, you know, that's, I, and I think that's a lot of just that drive to say there has to be a way, right? And this optimism combined with tenacity and curiosity for the world. I love that. And th that you just don't accept no, right? No, yeah. yeah. It's like not no, it's how, right? Like yeah, find a way how. to figure yeah. that out. I love that. So I know, you know, you now you have a tech company, right? You're, you're really involved in AI, which, you know, a lot of people don't even know what that is. So I would love to talk a little bit about that, about what you're doing and yeah. And your journey there and how, how is that impacting the world? Well, I think, you know, for a lot of us, for me, especially um, that curiosity I mentioned has always been a thing. So I always wanted to understand the what, the why and the how of different things in the world. And a lot of people shy away from AI right now or, or are thinking it's not a good thing or don't know much about it. And I was that that individual that runs in. If it's scary, I'm running towards it because I want to know why everyone's scared. So I'm like, well, we should figure out why this is scaring everyone. So for me, that's always been my approach to kind of brave the way for people and, and make it um, something that's understandable because I think a lot of times when stuff's new or we don't get it, um, a lot of the individuals out there who own companies or, or whatnot um, use that to their advantage, right? Because we're not informed consumers or we don't know a lot about it. And they use that as a, an advantage in the companies. But my approach is completely different. I take it from the perspective of a conscious consumer. And what would I want to know as a consumer about how to break down the problem and figure out how to solve it with information? So our number one goal in our company is education first. We want people to understand hard topics. So artificial intelligence, actually the word that gets thrown out there, all it really means is intelligence not displayed by a human. So it's some type of intelligence that is done by anything other than a human, a machine, a robot, whatever. And that intelligence actually comes very similar to how you and I get our knowledge and intelligence, which is data and information we collect through our lifetime. So all that's happening with AI is we feed in a lot of data and information that is past events and things that have happened. All that's different about machines from us in terms of what we're seeing go on there is you and I have limited exposure to what we've seen. So if you think about a doctor, a doctor can only see so many patients in a year. So their realm of experience is limited to their medical school career, their residency, and then the patients they've seen. That's what they've actually experienced. What AI with that, what we can do is I can feed um, a bot or um, basically an AI agent is really what it is. We call it bots because to me, it sounds a little more friendly. Our bots, what we do is we feed them every case that they can possibly consume on a type of area. So let's call it cancer. We give it every set of data and patient information on cancer. They get to go through millions of records and find patterns in those cases to create optimal outcomes of what they think the issue is so that when a patient presents and you feed in the data, they can say, here's how I think that's actually going to work and what the treatment should be. 
what we find in cases like that, because the bots have so much more data to draw from and they can synthesize that much information, they are pretty accurate on prediction of diagnosis or potential problems. What they don't get is what we do as humans, which I call contextualized intelligence or relevance, where we can say, I get the data, but I'm looking at you and I see there's something else going on here besides the data you just gave me. I can read your facial expressions. I can read your body language. I can ask clarifying questions. The bot's not able to do that. So today where humans really are important in this journey is being the ones who contextualize the information or the outcomes that bots are coming up with. I call bots our virtual research assistants. That's how I like to leverage them to do all the heavy lifting that we don't have time to do, but then we as humans are gonna have to help them make decisions. So again, a big reason why we created the children's book and why we were focused on that was I have a four-year-old and a 10-year-old and my 10 year old said to me, mommy, you guys talk about all these things all day long. So I'm learning what it is. But when I go to school and talk to my friends, no one gets what you do. right?" <laughs> so she said, we have to create this book to teach all my friends how this works and what this technology is. And then by doing that, uh, through osmosis, I said, we'll actually be educating their parents and the adults. So it's perfect, you know, for our theme of educate first and break it down because it's actually simpler than we think. Um, machine learning, you hear that term. All it really means is algorithms and math. It's just the math behind how you come out with an outcome. So again, like I said, with topics, a lot of times people will hide behind fancy words or big terminology around it. But when you break it down, it's actually pretty simple what's happening behind the scenes. And I believe all of us, no matter if you are in whatever profession you're in, we need to be conscious consumers of where our data and information is being used today, leveraging this technology so that you can say, I want to opt in or out of these types of technologies. I love that. So it'll be fun to read the book too, because it's <laughs> at a child's level, right? Yeah. So even like you said, the parents are going to learn. I'm the parent. Yeah. I can't wait to learn. <laughs> so, so yeah. And I, I know that you are now using, you know, AI for, you had mentioned this to me before, and I love what you're doing now with companies that, so I'd love to talk a little bit about that, about AI and how you're using that uh, to do company meetings and, and people working virtually and, and managing their staff and those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think we all can relate to this, especially with the last six months of what we've been under is this fatigue of so many virtual meetings and not having the connection of sitting in a room with someone. So um, what our organization tries to do is to say, how do we optimize the work that we're doing every day so that it's at the time when we're ready and best able to receive the information? So what used to have to happen because we were all in person is we arrived at the same time, we left at a certain time, there was times we were designated, we were in meetings or doing certain projects, but now the world's had to virtualize. So really what that's given us is the capability to say, what if we were able to allow people to consume and use information when they need it. So what we've done is think of your physical world or the physical building that represents your company. We virtualized the entire operation and business. So what that means for all of us is we would have virtual offices. So I could go visit you in your virtual office. Well, today 
Um, I don't get to see what you would have had necessarily I was in your virtual office if I'm not looking at you on camera. So before someone comes to see you, they can see what you like, the pictures you put on your virtual office walls, all those things that denote kind of the personality of the individual. Then what we give you is um, what's called a chat bot or a virtual assistant. And that virtual assistant, you can be doing emails and things and all of a sudden you go, you know what, I need to schedule a meeting with Jennifer and I wanna schedule it next week. That chatbot, you tell her that, she'll go out to your calendar, she'll go out to my calendar, she'll get a time and she'll set it up. You say, I want it to be a Zoom call or a Teams call, they can put all that in there and that's done for you. So now instead of you having to take five or 10 minutes to divert to go do that, you've got this virtual assistant that's helping you do some of these tasks that when you look at it, we're taking, you know, one, two hours a day that now you've freed up to do more valuable things in your day. And those are just simple examples of what we're able to create and do. We're putting plugins now for companies where some of us may remember when we were in physical buildings, you had dry cleaning service where someone would come to your office, pick up dry cleaning, bring it back to you so you didn't have to go out to the dry cleaner. We're doing plugins where we can plug in those services so you can actually do dry cleaning to your virtual office, which is wherever you're at at the time, have it picked up and brought back to you the same way you would have before, all in a central experience. You don't have to go research who does it or what company or log into it or do any of that. We're creating a holistic experience to be able to do that for people. That is so amazing. I'm pretty sure you've convinced me that I need a virtual assistant. <laughs> you need it. We all yeah. do. We all need a couple of them, right? Like with as yeah. much as you do, you probably need about four. <laughs> I, I definitely need one to go to your schedule, book me, go. To, yeah. Yeah, to, I know I need that. Oh my gosh. So this is just amazing. And what a, a perfect timing, you know, uh, to be having this ready for the world and be using this and, you know, who knows how things will return, as you said, you know. Uh, yeah. And even if they do, we built it so that I hope one of the patterns we all take, and you and I have talked about this before, but you can work from anywhere. We're learning. You can work for, from anywhere. So what if, let's say now your company allowed you to go to the Bahamas or to Greece for two months and you could live there and work there and you have this virtualized connection to your entire company so that that was completely possible even when people return to say a physical office. Like we're opening up so many possibilities so that people can, again, do the things that fit their needs and what works for them instead of having it be on a very prescribed time frame. We do things like um, email communications. We all get too many emails probably, but we go email, so text to voice, so that instead of you having to sit in front of your computer and read emails, your virtual assistant can go through a queue of those important emails that you've flagged, read them to you while you take a walk outside, and then you can tell her, make a note or flag this email, and you can take tasks or follow up when you get back. So instead of just sitting and reading emails, you can be outside, you can be running, taking a walk, you know, doing in the car, you know, all those things. So it's taking those tasks that just weigh us down every day and optimizing our ability as humans to think and have free space and all the things that help us be better. I'm here for it, Jen. <laughs> I'm here, uh, yes, to get away from the computer, right? And be yeah. able to, yeah, and still be able to be fed that information yeah. that's important. Yeah. 
but not have to be glued to the screen or the phone or I love that. Oh my gosh. Yes. I want that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> thank you for your part in this, in the world. <laughs> this so, is empathy in tech. So this is like a mom being like, okay, we got to do some of this better because we can do more, but we, I, we need to empathize. Our tech needs to work better with how we work as humans. So uh, the, it sounds like a dream. So I'm excited to, to see more about that. So what would you say your biggest thing, the biggest thing that you do maybe consistently that has had the biggest impact on your success? Yeah, for me, it's, it's a discipline actually around a personal checkpoint, um, one, if not twice a year, just to say, where am I at? So, um, especially when you move from corporate where you're having different conversations with leaders about what are your goals and objectives and you become an entrepreneur, there's less of that happening, right? Where you're like, okay, what are my goals? What are my objectives? What am I doing? Right. And I love not having that constraint, but what I learned is I do want to reflect and I want to drive what I've learned and what I like. So I do what's called a personal checkpoint once or twice a year. So this is relevant for all of us coming up here and looking at it maybe in November, December here as we head off into 2021, which I know everyone is excited about 2021. <laughs> so a couple of questions. So what I say to do with this is these four questions. So the first question is just to think about in the last six months, so if I did this every six months, in the last six months, what am I proud of? And just give yourself some credit. Like, what did I do that I'm really proud of? Because especially as women, a lot of us aren't good at reflecting on the good and the positive that we do. I do so many leadership sessions, um, especially with women, and they'll come up with all the things they don't like but their list of what they like is always so short, you know, or what's good. So I really want to focus on first, what am I proud of? Because we all have things we did really well, especially in this last six months of the year, like, you know, all the tenacity, the drive, the compassion, the things we're doing well. The second question is, what have you learned? So when I look back, you know, what are some of the things I learned? And especially in the last six months, some people maybe learned I can balance better. I can have better boundaries or need better boundaries between what I need for me and what I need for my organization or company. I've learned I need more downtime. I've learned that I can work from anywhere. You know, those types of things would be good to just catalog. The third question is around what could you optimize if you were to start the year over again, knowing what you know now. So some of us may have bought a lot of things we didn't have on hand that we now would have had, you know, mass amounts of. Um, but that's the other one is, you know, looking back, what would I optimize? Are there some things I would do differently? And I actually have a friend that her whole strategy based on um, her upbringing was you always have a year's worth of food, toilet paper, paper towels, hand sanitizer, like all the basics. When this happened, she literally was like, nope, I'm good. I got a whole year. Like as long as we get out of this in a year, I'm, I'm set, right? And I was the one going, oh my gosh, I don't have anything. Like I need to scramble. So that could be one of those things, right? Now that I know, I maybe want to feel more prepared or I want to do this type of thing. And then the last one is, around what lessons do you wanna take with you for the next part of the journey you're going on? So 
what, what did you really enjoy that you learned that you don't want to have or forget, right? That you don't unlearn, right? What are the good parts you want to keep and not unlearn? Because we make patterns so quickly and, and change how we do things um, that we want to make sure we catalog the ones we want to keep you know? And for me, it's going to be things like, I honestly think I'm going to do more of what Europe's always done, which is four week holidays, not call them vacations, but holidays and take a month and just decompress because it's possible, right? We just always think we can't. And then when the world forces a change, we realize there's a lot of things we didn't think we could do that are possible. Oh my gosh, I agree. And I'm so about that holiday. And I think I had mentioned this to you before that when I was young, we used to go to Miami Beach. And so, and all the Canadians would come for their holiday during Christmas and New Year's, like that month span. And I was like, what's a holiday? Like, you know, in the US, we didn't really even understand that, but they were just always there on that vacation. Yeah. And yeah, I'm finding the same thing uh, that, yeah. that you are. Like, I'm ready for a holiday too. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. that's amazing. Yeah, amazing. So you mentioned your book. So let's talk about a little bit more. Tell our listeners the name of the book. You know, the I know the story behind it with your, yeah. your children. Uh, but then I know there's a little figure, little pink figure to uh, yeah. share about that. So yeah, let's tell them a little bit more. Well, so when we think about, and it goes back to thinking about AI. So there is um, the name of the main character in the book is Gracie Gray, because I mentioned I have a four-year-old and a 10-year-old. So Grace is my 10-year-old who thought of the concept and Grayson is my son. So Gracie Gray is the main character and she's a pink lion. So instead of being a regular lion, she's pink and she comes with the book. So she's in the first um, book. And the first thing uh, Gracie Gray faces is a question about being different because I don't know if you've ever seen this around children, but I witnessed it with my son firsthand where we all grew up thinking everything that we think is just fine, right? We don't know that it's different or we don't know that it's not what everyone else thinks until someone else mentions it. So that happens to Gracie at the playground. She's at the playground and there happens to be a zebra and her zebra friend says she's ugly and weird and different and no good because she's pink and no one's pink. And her mom does what a lot of moms do, which is different's good. You're perfect the way you are, right? But we don't always believe our moms when they say that. And so luckily, Gracie has a bot who was sitting on her shelf in her room that decides to help Gracie out with this question that she's been faced with. And we talked about AI is really just lots of data and patterns. So Bot takes Gracie on an adventure to go get all the data that says, is she really different and is different good or bad or what is different to get the answer to see if it matches her mom's answer. So it's all about exploring from that point forward how machine learning and artificial intelligence are in our worlds, but just breaking it down to make it real simple of how what that means and how it works. Um, we start with the question that goes into the internet with the bot and Gracie. They go on an adventure to figure out why people celebrate different holidays. And so getting the data on that, 
they explore a self-driving car and the tech inside of that. There's all kinds of adventures they go on together and they learn about what it really means. And it really is the culmination of what I believe we all should think of AI as, is Bot is Gracie's best friend and her virtual research assistant, helping her with all these things that she wants answers on. But there's things that Gracie as the lion knows that Bot doesn't. And you'll see that in the stories where I talk about humans have a very important part to play in helping bots understand or correct some of the, the conclusions or behaviors that may not be right that we don't want them to have. So it's this synergistic relationship, which is what I want all of us to have with this technology that is going to be in all parts of our lives. I love that. And I believe that the parent, the parents should definitely be reading this book with their children, because when you look at the world as it is today, it's, it's the parents need to le learn these lessons more than the children because yeah. they're learning from the parents. So if we can straighten that out and they can yeah. be good examples, the kids will, you know, will, the, they'll have a different, different perspective and different lessons. And this is just going to make such a huge impact in the world. I just can't wait to get my hands on it so I can share it with my grandchildren. And uh, yeah, I'm just so excited and especially the pink lion because you know, pink is my favorite color. I know I I'm a big fan of pink and we made her pink on purpose because we called it a soft landing to hard technology. So when people see lions, sometimes you'd maybe be afraid, but our pink lion, she's so disarming because she's so adorable that you just fall in love, right? So we wanted it to be a softer landing. So when people think of tech, they think of what I was mentioning in the beginning of diversity in tech, more diversity of thought around what we're building, um, things that are more approachable, right? So all of the things around the pink line was very much designed to make it something that's attractive and approachable, especially to folks that maybe didn't feel like a technology was approachable to them to get them interested in the opportunities that it provides. I love it. I'm excited. So there's one more thing that I just, I can't even move on until we talk about it because I love so much uh, what your, your uh, concept is with this personal board of directors. So can, yeah, so there's so many decisions, right? And so many, we're, we're evolving and we're pivoting and, and things are changing every day. And so I love that what you're doing with that. And I would love to have you share about that with our listeners now. Yeah, so I came across this concept um, a couple of years ago, and I think it's it's really been life changing for me to have um, this philosophy around um, managing, you know, what I'm focused on, keeping me aligned to the things that are really important that I want to be doing because time is our most precious gift. So where am I spending my time, and am I doing the things that really serve and feed where I want to be and where my passion is? And so I came upon the concept of just similar to companies, companies have boards of directors. It's about you figuring out um, how to craft and create your board of directors and your advocates that help keep you aligned to where you wanna be in your mission. And you have different people on this board based on what you're trying to do. So one example, and you can change this, but if you Google personal board of directors, it gives you a framework for how to create one. But the way that I look at it is one of the people on my board 
is around sponsorship and influence, right? So who's supporting me? Who's influential? Who can be my champion, right? So who do I have on my board that can champion things that I'm really passionate about and open some of those doors that I want opened around areas where I want something different to happen and they can help influence. Another person on my board is around purpose and motivation. So who inspires me with new ideas? So I want someone that when I have this great idea, I can go to them and say, I have this idea. And not only will they be able to engage with me, they'll maybe make the idea better, right? Where they'll go, oh, have you thought of this? Or have you thought of this? Another one is around personal development. Who makes me a better version of me, right? Who gives me that candid feedback who goes, Jennifer, stop doing this, or this would be a good thing to try, or pushing me to really be better um, at what I'm doing that I trust to receive candid feedback. Another one would be around balanced life. I needed this so much in my um, tech career because I would get so out of balance. So I have one individual who just really encourages health, mental wellness, around taking time for yourself, finding, she was one who said to me at one time, she said, you need a sabbatical. And I was like, what? No, like I work so hard. I can't take any time off. She literally encouraged me. I took a one month sabbatical. She said, one day will be for massages. One day is going to be for like nails. The other three days are walks that you just commit to taking walks in nature, like those types of things. Never would have done that without someone saying, not only saying, but um, being an advocate of this is possible, it's realistic and you can do it. And then someone that has knowledge and expertise in a field that you're in. Just examples, um, but you can have a board of five to six people. They don't all have to meet together. You leverage them and have them in areas um, where you want the support. And when you have a key decision, you go to those people and have them assist and help you in that area. And so my next question on that is where, where do you recommend that our listeners find these people? Is this uh, people they already know? Are they mentors? Are they business contacts? Where do you get them from? So where, for me, it was yeah. a combination. So here's what's interesting that you'll find is there are so many people out there that are willing to help and support that I've found if you may know some of them already, but they may be people that you've seen, right? Like they're, they're doing um, talks or education on being balanced in health and wellness. And what you find is as you build relationships and you reach out to someone and say, hey, this is an area where I really want some help and I need someone on my board that is going to help me in this space, would you be willing to do that? Rarely do people say no, right? But it doesn't, you got to ask to know. And there's so many people out there who really enjoy being a support and help to someone else who needs it in their career. And I've been reading a lot of articles saying, actually, now is a great time to map out your board of directors, get these people on your team, ask some of these folks for that support Many folks are willing to do it. Um, folks have had these for years. Like a lot of executives have had these for years. They never would call it that or say that, but we're just putting the term on it, right? Their advisors, whatever. It's just the capability to really now have this support network that we all need to just keep us guided and pointed in the right direction. That is amazing. Amazing. Okay, let's do this. Let's tell our listeners where they can find you. 
Um, the best place, so I learned this too. I used to always tie myself to the organizations and companies solely that I worked with. Um, but I've learned that it's important to have a personal brand too. So jenbonine.com. So it's J-E-N-N-B-O-N-I-N-E.com is my personal website where you can keep up with all the fun things I'm working on. And then LinkedIn. I use a ton of LinkedIn. It's just Jennifer Bonine. You'll see me and there'll be a background that's pink with a bunch of white lions on it. You won't miss me. So that will be mine because I'm very passionate about um, Gracie Gray and that pink lion. Awesome. Awesome. And speaking of Gracie Gray and the pink lion, what is the date that this book is being released that our listeners can order it? So we have, we are working very hard to get it out right before Thanksgiving. So they're telling us that it should be out. Um, We're doing pre-orders starting in November but that it should be out right around the 23rd of November. All that info on my website at jenbonine.com. And like I mentioned, um, the first book comes with the lion and then there's subsequent editions that you'll be able to purchase where you don't get the lion with the other ones, but you already have your lion. And so it's kind of nice to do the, you get the series to kind of keep growing with Gracie Gray and Bot. I love that. And will they be available on Amazon or will you, they order directly through your website? It will have a link from the website to all the places you can order them on. So beautiful. So I'll make sure that's also in the show notes here. So our <laughs> listeners, you can just click on the show notes and you'll find all the links you need to everything that we talked about. Okay. So this is where the rubber meets the road. So we, (laughs) yeah, you love that. We promise our (laughs) listeners on the She's Invincible podcast that we are not only going to bring fierce female entrepreneurs and spotlight their expert zone of genius, give them education and lessons that they can learn and apply right now so that they can change the direction of their life and their business. And thank you because you did just that today with us. But we also promise them that we're going to let them in behind the scenes because as you know, women tend to compare themselves to other successful women. And they're always coming up short because they're comparing your strengths to their weaknesses. And they don't think that they can do these amazing things because they're not like you, right? They weren't, they didn't have a toy distribution center at five and they weren't giving out tickets and they weren't switched at birth, right? And and so we wanna let them in behind the scenes and we wanna share a little bit about your journey to success. And we're gonna do that through some stories. So the first thing that I would love to do is have you, have you share with us a good story or even great story of your journey so far. Yeah, definitely. The one I would like to share, it was pretty impactful to me because it came early on in my career. And I think it's something I've seen um, a lot of women struggle with in their careers where we underestimate our capability, right? So it's it, the stats show most women underapply for jobs. Like we have to meet every criteria and before we think we're eligible for that position. Whereas if on average you look at our counter, male counterparts, they'll apply for jobs where they have three or four of the qualifications out of 10 or 15 and think they're totally qualified. 
So early on in my career, I had an opportunity very young, very young in my career. I was at Accenture when I started my career working with high level executives on programs and projects, got a lot of great experience and got so fortunate. And I call it my pay it forward story. So I hope anyone listening takes a shot and does this sometime with someone else when they can. But I was ready to leave Accenture. I went there to figure out what I wanted in my career, what industries I liked, um, what types of jobs would suit me, where was I really going to fit. And I had someone approach me that had been at Accenture previously that had moved on to an executive role um, in a C-level in a company. And he came and said, hey, I want you to come and I want you to be the director of this tech division, it's going to be like 150, 200 people. Keep in mind, I'm 24 at the time. So I'm like, oh my gosh, can I do this? Is this going to be okay? And so I'm thinking in my head, right? Like a lot of us do, this is never happening. I'll go to the interview. It'll be great experience. I'll be able to say I tried, right? But we'll never speak of it because I won't get the job and I'll be disappointed. And I went to the first two interviews and there was six other finalists for the position And you start to, after that second interview, you're like, oh my gosh, like you start imagining yourself in that role. And I'm like, I really need this role. Like, I love this role. I can do this role. Like, I'm going to be good at this. It's going to be awesome. And I got to the end and there was myself and one other candidate that were in the finalists and ended up that the individual that had approached me ended up picking me for that opportunity and that role. And I remember thinking it was like one of those moments in your career where you're like, I have to pinch myself. I don't think this really happened. Like, is it, am I dreaming that this was a thing? But he said to me afterwards, he said, Jennifer, he said, I believe in you. And he said, I know that the other candidate had way more years of experience. I know that they had some of the other things that you haven't had an opportunity to build, but he said, I will be here with you to build that because I see that you have the capability to learn the things that you need to learn and you will be open to learning those things, right? So he paid it forward. He took a leap. He personally, I am positive he personally put himself on the line to convince a lot of people that a very young 24-year-old female could run a tech team that was 90% male right? Like, I mean, he had to have, I can't even now looking back, I was too young to think about it. The conversations he had to have to personally assure that this would not blow up on him and that this would go well, right? So I think about that all the time in my career is where are my opportunities to maybe step out of my comfort zone, to take a risk on someone that isn't the obvious choice that has the potential and believe in them? Because I think that's what a lot of us need right now is if you get that person that believes in you, that says, I'm going to be here with you. If all of us as women could do that more often for each other and stand together instead of apart on helping with this, I think it would go a long way. So that was my good that influenced me from very early on about how I approach mentoring, supporting other people in their careers. That is an amazing story. Amazing. And talk about like just a way to be set up like that to do yeah. at such a young age. I love that. 
gosh, that feels good, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the great. And now we're going to go to the band. So oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, right. So but that is amazing. Because you know, that story, like you'll never forget what that felt like and the trust and the integrity and the belief, yeah. right? So, yeah. so it makes it easy for you to model that for other people, because you lived it and you felt it. And that is amazing. And you know, that is paying it forward because you're able to continue that with others. So let's talk a little bit about the band. I mean, we know you didn't sail your way to success, right? Oh. There's always obstacles. And, you know, I yeah. say the bigger the success, the bigger the obstacles you have to overcome and, and fight for it. So share with us one of the band stories. Yeah, it was. I mean, so with that really early win came a lot of what I would call my own personal um, demons that I carried with me, right. Of not feeling worthy. So instead of taking that, right. Like that was a huge thing for me to get that position. Um, and I would like to say that from there, I just, you know, sailed straight forward and believed in myself and was like, if he believes in me, I believe in me. Right. But from very early on, and I, I say this because now one of my things I always say when someone says, what are the lessons you would give to someone starting in their career? They came from this, this story of the bad for me, which was, I started to feel like I didn't deserve it. No one told me that, but I felt like, gosh, I'm not old enough, right? I'm not smart enough. I don't have a lot of the people working for me had advanced engineering degrees or MBAs in that um, area of study. I had aerospace engineers in my team. I was like, I can't compete with these people like on this stuff. How am I going to do this? So to make up for it, I started to do things like dress the way that I thought I should dress as an executive. I would wear my hair up so that I looked older. Who would do that now? I'm like, oh, for goodness sakes, I want to look as young as I can. But I would make myself look older because I thought then they'll respect me if I look older. I would dress a certain way. I'd wear my hair a certain way. I'd come in extra early. I wouldn't leave till late. I'd work on the weekends. I sacrificed, didn't start my family till later in my life because I felt like I would be judged if I had children or had needs for my children. And that was something that like, it took me a long time to break some of those early, what I call personal demons in your head, where you're saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough for this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not doing the right things. We're sometimes our own worst critics because it wasn't even coming from outside. And what I really learned through that was I got to a point in my career and it only really happened because I had a very serious incident with one of my parents where they fell ill and I needed to support them, where I had to step away for a second from my career and stop identifying my entire life by my title and my profession and what I did. And I had to find value in other places. And that's when I learned that being authentic, being just who I was, you know, wearing my hair how I liked it, wearing sparkly jewelry if I wanted to, you know, just being me was bringing more authenticity to the table than showing up in a mold I needed to be in. And that I, I was there for a reason and I didn't need to prove it every single day and go above and beyond what was humanly possible, you know, to impact my own health and well-being in regards to that. 
That is an amazing story. And I know that women around the world uh, do suffer from that, right? We call a lot of times we call that imposter syndrome. Yeah. yeah where we question, you know, I, I'm not qualified for this and, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things. And that is amazing. And I was going to ask you uh, how, how you overcame that. And you just shared that. So that was just a beautiful story and unfortunate that you had to have a situation like that to shake you out of it. But it's a blessing in the, in the way that it, it did shake you out of it because that can stop people in their tracks. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I've seen, I mean, self-sabotage kicks in, right? Yeah. If you really stay in that imposter syndrome for too long, all of a sudden you start self-sabotaging your success and, and the things, yeah. you know, relationships in that. And so it's important to figure that out, identify it quickly and move through it. Um, yeah. Amazing. So, so we're going to move on to ugly because there's always yeah. ugly, right? I mean, oh. yeah. As a female, yeah, there's a lot of ugly. There's a lot of ugly in the world. So yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So share with us an ugly story. Well, I, I would say I was in um, corporate America for a long time for some of the very top tech companies um, around the world. And I knew very firsthand and why I think I actually sat for a long time in that proving an imposter syndrome was because, um, especially because I had some of the roles I had very early, I looked around and my peers weren't in those roles. I didn't feel like I had anyone I could talk to. There weren't a lot of other role models as women executives in the companies I was in to be able to ask questions um, around just how do you balance this and what does it look like for you? And, you know, how do you handle these types of things and, you know, all of that. So when I um, decided to leave corporate America and start my own organization and company with some individuals that I had known for a very long time, respected um, my two male co-founders, we make a great team. Um, what I wasn't prepared for was the fact that um, as a female tech CEO and entrepreneur, the amount of, because as I told you, I'm a, we just don't say no person. Like we figure out a way to make it work. I was really not prepared for the fact that the funding world still is so disproportionately weighted towards males in general and male um, dominated companies getting funding. Less than 4% of venture startups are funded for women. Less than 4% of the money goes to female founded companies and CEOs. So it's just this uphill battle from the get-go that even when I heard it, I was like, oh, we've got this, it's gonna happen. Like, it'll be no problem. And what I also learned through that too though is I would go into meetings and we would pitch the ideas and it's myself and the two co-founders I have who are males and extremely supportive, obviously, of, of what we do in our company. And we'd tell them what we were doing. And you would see these individuals gravitate towards them to ask the question, like I wasn't in the room. Or they would um, say to them after we talked about it, they would say, oh my gosh, he's going to be the next Jobs or the next Gates. And then they would look at me and say, Jennifer, well, we don't know, right? We don't know what that'll look like. And they would say this in actual meetings or assume sometimes when we would have the meetings that I was the assistant to them or just there to take the notes. And I'm not talking about 20 years ago. I'm talking about now that this still really happens in the venture space. And so I think fundamentally, the ugly part is 
there's some things we've still got to get turned around here. I know people think that, you know, it's completely changed, but what I would say is, you know, there are still some systems that are, are broken. It's not about how good your idea is or any of those things, even in this space. I was joking that we should have the voice for venture capital where you don't see, is it a male idea or a female idea? Or is it, you know, what ethnicity or what age or anything? It should be blind and you just get the ideas and you have to fund them, right? Like something like that would actually probably be good because there's these inherent biases still in the system that creates and funds companies. And the more, um, disturbing thing because I was working in, with at the World Economic Forum, Sherry Blair launched the 100,000 Women campaign. And what she said is actually in 2019, we went backwards on closing the pay equity gap between men and women. And that's going to take us, if we don't change something, 150 years to close the gap. That's ridiculous, right? We can do more. So that's what I would leave with is I know it's not positive, but it's real and it's still happening and there's things we can do about it. So any chance I get, I try and educate anyone I can talk to on how do we really not judge on superficial things, but really judge based on value and ideas and contribution. That's where we need to get to, I think. Oh my gosh. I couldn't agree with you more. And it, you know, it is scary to think that we went back one year, we went back and now it's going to take 150 years mm -hmm. to close a gap. That to me is just unacceptable. And I agree with everything you said. And, you know, we have come so far, but mm -hmm. we still have so far to go. Yeah. And yeah. And we really need for women to have a louder voice and to speak up. And we need to find the men that are on our side and have them advocate for us. Right. Like, it's like, we need to build yeah. a, a, a team, an army of yeah. men that are, that are supportive of this. And these are going to be, you know, men that have wives that are in, in business, men that have daughters who yeah. want them to be treated equally. Yeah, I, totally, I mean, mom, you know, yeah. everyone has a mom, like you had to have a mom somehow. You know? Yes. yes. <laughs> I agree a hundred percent. And we, we need to build an army of, of men to advocate as well, uh, to, in order for us to really close this gap. And, and you're right there's so much to do. Oh my gosh. Well, it has been such a joy to have you here today with us. You truly are invincible. And just, I appreciate so much all that you're doing in the world, uh, getting your message out there through your work and your book and your children. Uh, just amazing. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I can't wait to talk to you again. And if you are here listening today, I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if you are flat, face down, on the ground, get back up, girl. Get back up. You can do it. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review, and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.